Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially for reading my new book, Crucify My Love, or my new-ish book, The Chain, which is available on Wattpad right now, because as I rewrite and edit chapters, I'm posting them over there. So you can read along as I'm writing. It's a lot of fun. I'd love to get your feedback on how everything's going over there, so why don't you check it out? I'm C.E. Dorset, just search for C.E. Dorset, The Chain, you'll find me. And thank you to everybody who does that. Today, we are going to be talking about a movie that was never made. But now, you can close your eyes and have it play out in front of you. Because Audible has produced a full cast audio of William Gibson's script for Alien 3. This is a movie that never got made. I know what you're thinking. There was an Alien 3, yes. But it was a very different Alien 3. There were about four different ideas that went around for Alien 3, and they chose not the weirdest. The weirdest one was going to take place on a wooden space station and with like space monks and gothic cathedrals in space made of wood, and that didn't happen. But Audible has done a full cast, and... We're going to talk about it because it is amazing. But before we do, if you haven't already, please rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help a lot. It tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people, more people, more chance for community to grow. And that's why I do this. Honest to God. Thank you to everybody who has rated the podcast. It means a lot to me. Okay, I will warn you before I get into spoilers. Okay. Because this is so good. But I don't know how many of you actually listen to, listen to audiobooks. But this is amazing. Okay. It's two hours and 16 minutes long. It's the full script. It is so good. Out of 4,404 ratings on Audible, it's got a 4.3. So it's not just me blowing smoke up <laughs> this movie's patootie. Because it is so good. This is the movie that I wish we had gotten. This is the film that should have happened. So the, I'm just going to read this little bit from the description here. The book begins with the Sulaco on its return journey from LV four to six on board the military ship are the cybernetically, the cryogenically frozen skeleton crew of the film's survivors, Ripley, Hicks, Newt, and Bishop. We travel aboard and hear the alarm blare. Our heroes are no longer alone. Bum, bum, bum. And what's really cool is they actually got Michael Bean back to play Corporal Hicks and Lance Hendrickson back to play Bishop and Ripley's really not in this story, which 
for an alien story is both refreshing and different. She survives in that she, you know, this isn't like the version of Alien 3 that we got that Corporal Hicks and Bishop and Newt just died off camera and only Ripley's alive. It's not like the reverse of that where Ripley died off camera and no, she's, um, doesn't wake up from the cryogenics. Something is apparently wrong with her personal theory. When Waylon Yutani pulled her out, they put, they, they put her in a coma, personal medically induced coma, personal theory. Can't prove it. I'm not going to read the names of the cast, but suffice it to say full cast audio, really well done. It is done like a radio play. So you can tell that it was re-edited into that format. This, I don't know how many times I can say it. This is what Alien 3 should have been. And it's such a thumb in the eye in what we've been getting with Alien Covenant and Prometheus. That this is this is what Alien could have been. And the brilliant thing about it is that it doesn't forget the premise. Because around Alien 3, that's when they kind of forgot what Alien is. And a good Alien movie is that wonderful tagline, in space, no one can hear you scream. That is the heart of what makes Alien, the first movie, brilliant. It's what makes the second movie, Aliens, the James Cameron one, so much better. Because... It takes all of that fear and all of that claustrophobia. And now it actually knows what to do with it in a way that Ridley Scott kind of didn't. Nothing, not, not to take away from the first movie. The first movie's really good. But, oh, Aliens is so powerful in the way it inspires fear. And then it just kind of becomes a monster movie. Like, you could recast alien three and put any monster you want to in it. And the story really wouldn't change. I don't think you can do that with either of the previous movies. They knew what the xenomorph was and the danger of the xenomorph. William Gibson's script remembers that the xenomorph is different, that it is horrifying and that it is an existential threat to life and that's something that alien 3 forgets alien 4 resurrection alien resurrection when it's on it remembers that and it's really good and when it forgets it it's uh, it's okay but neither prometheus nor Covenant remember that. Prometheus is a movie about corporate greed where people can have a cesarean section and then do all kinds of amazing things immediately afterwards with staples in their stomachs. So, okay, that's awesome. And people don't know how to run to the left or the right, ever forward, ever onward. But it's a movie about corporate greed, and that's not what an alien movie is. Covenant 
is another movie about corporate greed and David going crazy, I guess. But that, again, not what an alien movie is. It's like when I did my big talk on kaiju movies. Kaiju are forces of nature. You can define what that force is and where it came from however you like. But a kaiju is a force of nature. If you could substitute any other creature for your kaiju, if it could be an alligator in the sewer, if it could be a lion in the Serengeti, if it could be any other creature, it's not a kaiju movie. And that's, of course, the problem that, you know, Godzilla has is you could substitute it with the birds from the birds and pretty much have the same movie in a lot, most respects. Eh, That's a problem. And that's the problem that Alien has had for a while. This remembers. This puts a new twist on the Aliens that the xenomorphs that is so much more disturbing and so much scarier than any of the xenomorphs that have followed that it really should have been made into a movie and this should have been the story that we got so that's as far as i'm i think i can go without spoilers if i haven't sold you on this yet you have to if you have an audible account this is one of the free books right now um, for this month, for June, that they just give you for free because you get one free book and one credit. This is one of the free books right now. So definitely, definitely check it out. It is so worth a listen. It is so good. And now let us go to Spoiler Town. If you do not want to be spoiled for William Gibson's Alien 3... You should stop listening in five, four, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Okay. So they all escaped, right? You remember the end of the movie? Well, we actually get a brief retelling of the end of the movie from Bishop's point of view. That's how the story starts. And Bishop doesn't quite understand what happened between Ripley and the alien queen and doesn't understand until it's way too late that when the alien queen put the her tail through him and ripped him apart, she also laid an egg. Yeah, you heard me. So Bishop is carrying an alien. He's carrying a xenomorph. But that's not the biggest problem. See, they, we finally are introduced to another human faction. It's not just Weyland Yutani. We're introduced to a group of communists that are kind of against the corporations because it's William Gibson and he's bringing some of his cyberpunky good goodness into this. And our ship, the Sulaco, has accidentally veered into their space. And I'm not going to go through, and I'm not going to spoil everything that's in this book, but I am going to spoil quite a bit of it. Oh my goodness. So I can see why they released this book. This book is for people like me who didn't like Prometheus and Covenant. It is. This is the book that is out there so that we get to see it and go, 
and our reaction is supposed to be, oh, so the black goo was something that was come that William Gibson came up with, and that was supposed to be in the franchise the whole time, but wasn't because they did two mediocre movies. And now that Ridley Scott's back, he's reintroducing the black goo, and that's making everything better. Yeah, except for that's not the reaction that I had. Like, I can tell that that, that's what Fox wanted me to think. Like, this is supposed to be the point in the story that saves Prometheus and Covenant. And it doesn't, because this is where it goes from the alien franchise you know and they just go oh yeah what if the alien what if the xenomorph were capable of creating this goo that was basically the thing from the thing except for instead of just masquerading as a person it just turned them into a xenomorph because it could do that it would splice itself onto their dna and horrifically transform them and it's one of the other ways of reproducing that they have because the xenomorphs are death oh so that yeah that's not the black goo that we got in the prometheus movie nor is it the black goo that we got in covenant that's a black goo that's actually scary creepy and you can understand how it works. In the the black goo in Prometheus, you can't. It's just it's it's a random thing that like does random things, and it goes into a guy's eye and makes his eye weird, and then he has sex with a lady who then gives birth to a starfish monster that's got lady bits for a mouth that then attacks an engineer that then makes a cone-headed what do they call it a deacon yeah okay that's a thing that happened oh and it turned that other guy into a zombie because black goose snake thing i guess yeah no the problem with prometheus and covenant is that they don't make sense this is such a simple yet horrifying premise to add that in lieu of having a queen, when they do not have access to a queen, and they do not feel it's necessary, because that's the whole point here, is that if they feel that there is enough room for a queen, that there's enough life for them to really run riot, one of them will spontaneously become a queen. We learn this about the, the xenomorphs. But if they don't, they'll make this black goo that will just transform the critters that they do encounter into other xenomorphs. And that's horrifying. The moment that it happens in the book, the first time that it happens, freaked me out. Like, I saw it coming. Like, they did a brilliant setup, but it still freaked me out. In such a wonderful body horror kind of a way that I would love to have seen on the screen. But, you know, let's put Ripley in that other place with those other people that do boring things. 
Because reasons. Yeah, I think this would have been a much more dangerous film to have put out because, one, it's a lot more political than the Alien franchise ended up being. And not like in a everybody needs to believe this person, you know, this way, but by introducing something that is an organization that is not part of the corporatocracy that is opposed to Wayland yutani and getting to see that not all humans are controlled by the corporatocracy, it does open up the story for a lot more exploration. And there's a bit more about the Marines in here, the space Marines, but oh, giving this ability to the xenomorphs makes them one of the scary, like they were already one of the scariest monsters, at least in my opinion, that has ever come out. But giving them the ability to go, huh, there's not enough people here for us to make a queen lay eggs and do this the traditional way. Why don't we just convert you? Why don't we just infect you like the Borg? Resistance is futile. We will either make you one of us or eat or kill you. Oh my goodness. It's such a brilliant premise. And the everything that happens after that, I'm trying not to ruin anything for those of you who are like, I'm going to listen through because the story is just so good. The dramatization that they did, the new characters that we meet, they're, they're given, they did the great thing. They're given just enough characterization that you empathize with them, you care about them, but they're not so much that you feel like you watched an entire movie where they were trying to make you care about the people that you knew were eventually going to die because it's a freaking monster movie. Like it finds that balance. The characters are interesting. It expands the world and it's everything that we needed. Like it, it saddens me in some ways that this has come out because if this had been alien three, the alien franchise would have gone in a, in a completely different direction. And this movie, this if this movie were made, if this were the real Alien 3, it rules out Covenant and Prometheus. Like, neither one of those movies could happen because now that we have a definition of the Black Goo, that the Black Goo genetically changes the people that it encounters into xenomorphs, then that completely nullifies the story in those two movies. So they could never happen. And like with Alien 3, the, I, I'm choosing to, I'm choosing to believe that this was Alien 3. Like, this is my new Alien 3. And when I do a marathon, which I am want to do Alien marathons, I love those movies so much. When it comes time for Alien 3, I'm probably going to put this audiobook on in future and listen to it instead. Because... The idea of introducing body horror to the Alien franchise, where the people are turned into xenomorphs, that is horrifying. Like, nobody is safe. Like, if it had gone undetected long enough on the Nostromo, this could have happened. Like, the brilliant thing about this movie 
is when you have that retroactively applied, right? It's it's what a good sequel should do. You realize exactly how lucky Ripley was that she was able to figure out what was going on as fast as like that they figured it out fast enough that it didn't start generating this black goo and didn't just start converting them and they didn't get overrun. I mean, when I watch Alien again, there's going to be so much more tension because I know that there's this possibility that if the xenomorph goes undetected and they don't deal with it fast enough, this is what could have happened. Even though, yeah, I know it's like side story and what have you, but still this, oh, oh my goodness. If you are a fan and you haven't read this book, this is worth checking. Like I do not have one of those audible codes. I wish I did because I could use the money off of them, but this is one of those moments where if you haven't checked out audible, get this, get this for your free book and you will not, you will not regret it. It is such a good story as have been several of the alien stories that they've done. River of pain was very good. Sea of sorrow was amazing. I have really enjoyed, they've been doing these dramatized alien stories over at audible for a while. I've really been enjoying them because They are unfortunately better than the movies because they don't have Ridley Scott's fingers on them. Because he's the problem. He's very much the problem. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, please rate the episode. It helps out a lot. In the show notes, you'll see a link for both my Patreon and the community support tab. If you have as little as a dollar a month, please join the project and help me to do all the things that I do. It really does help out a lot. I really can only do a lot of this because of your help. It does mean the world to me. If you don't have the money, don't worry about it. No pressure. Um, But if you know somebody you think might like this podcast, please share it with them. Help the podcast grow. That would be awesome. Um, Yeah. You can send me a voice message through the link in the show notes from any device that you're on. Or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. I'm cdorset on both. Or... You can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun.